Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. And let me tell you something, folks. (laughs) There is so much going on in the world of television. Television. I mean, you you got athletes protesting. You got networks trying to scramble to figure out what to put on TV. So, you know, once we start getting into that, I got to get the television expert. I got to get somebody who knows what they're talking about with that industry because, I just have an opinion, but I don't have necessarily the facts to back it up like the professionals do. So without further ado, let me welcome back. Okay, this is the entertainment editor for The Wrap, which is a TV and Hollywood publications, one of the top in the world. Really does a great job there. And this guy's a, a you know, one of my favorite wrestling fans because anybody who spends time, who spends time talking about pro wrestling when they don't have to, is somebody that we definitely need to tip our hat to and thank there. So without further ado, Tony Maglio. Mags, welcome back, brother. What's up, dude? I don't know if my wife would agree with uh, talking about pro wrestling when I don't have to thing in a positive light, (laughs) but uh, I'll take it, dude. I I always love talking to you. Well, you know, it it gets kind of hairy, too, because you're trying to figure out what to put the television on. No matter how many TVs you have in the house, you, you figure out what to put the television on, and if it's wrestling two, three, four nights a week, it starts getting a little little shaky, right? Yeah, I mean, so what I try to do is I very rarely watch anything but the pay-per-views live anymore. Just, uh, I mean, I've got two little kids, so there's bedtime routines too. But that that's kind of a non-starter when you're talking about a three-hour program or a two-hour program. So, well, she's out at work. I mostly work from home these days. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll fast forward through the DVR and, uh, you know, consume as much as I can. But I'm always there for the pay-per-views for the most part. And, you know, she watched a little SummerSlam with me, watched a little WWE 24 until it was uh, she had enough of that and went to bed. And, uh, yeah, I get, I get by with it anymore. But I will tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I don't know if you've got a lot of listeners that have little kids, but it was easier when my first daughter was younger. She's now three and a half. But then she started body slamming Elmo, and that is when my wife said, absolutely not while the kids are awake. So that's the rule. I mean, come on, Mrs. Maglio. Don't you know that that is a rite of passage for a child to start practicing wrestling moves on their toys and their siblings and, and whomever else? Come on. Yeah, right? well, she got her a Bailey onesie for Christmas, so she, she's not totally against the idea. She just doesn't want to get hit. Yeah, none of us do. But, you know, Mags, you could probably have the future world champion right there in your household. So, Oh, for God's sakes. You never know. It's funny. You you just mentioned SummerSlam. Let me ask you a question related to that. And I want to get your professional hat and your personal hat on this. What do you think of Thunderdome? 
this this uh, virtual attendance now fans can literally watch uh, pro wrestling from an arena virtually as if they were sitting in the seat what do you think about that so i actually really like it um with a couple of caveats i like it in that i believe it's better than any of the other alternatives that have been presented um the only other thing i get a kick out of is baseball cardboard cutouts and teddy bears and stuff like that in the seats but I think the way Fox, and I've said this to Fox, uh, this will come as no surprise, but I think the virtual fans thing, the video game fans looks kind of ridiculous. Um, I think, you know, the NBA, I thought it was a good idea. They seem to have the video uh, webcam thing first. Um, but I believe Thunderdome, look, it's not perfect, but it's it's aesthetically pleasing to look at. I was worried that they weren't going to build it out big enough, but it takes up the steady cam space. Um, obviously, and unfortunately, there are some knuckleheads that are doing some knucklehead things, and you have to expect that, um, you know, with regards to what they're doing on camera or what they're showing on camera. Um, but I think it's better. I mean, because I, I personally believe that wrestling is the sport that suffered the most without fans because it's, you know, it's an environment that is so reliant on the fans. And, you know, I don't even, not to say that something like football isn't, you know, third downs, uh, in a, in a, when you're the visiting team in a, a loud stadium, absolutely influences the game. But that's real competition, and 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 you don't you shouldn't need fans to get up for real competition. But WWE fans truly are part of the show, and I think this is about as good as it can get. The the only thing I will say, uh, and I've expressed as much to WWE, the only two things I would critique is if it were possible. I think it would be better if each individual seat uh, had its own two-way webcam so that the person watching the show wasn't watching the hard cam that we see on TV, that they actually got a view from their seat. I also think WWE would be able to monetize that if that were the case. Um, and I'd rather have more live audio. I don't like pumped-in audio, whether it's baseball or, or, uh, or wrestling or anything. I, uh, but that creates a bit of an issue because there's a slight delay and uh, so on. Um, but I, I, I think those are the only things that really miss Thunder, make Thunderdome a little bit less than it theoretically could. You know, those are great suggestions. And I think just like anything else, um, do the initial run. Like you saw on SmackDown last week, that was the initial, which it was a little shaky. But SummerSlam seemed to flow a heck of a lot better and Raw seemed to flow a heck of a lot better. So, but I think you're right. I think the, the evolution of this is to actually charge fans to be part of this Thunderdome thing and, and have specialized views and not just in wrestling, but I think you're going to see that in football and in all the, the major sports and sports entertainment where, you know, for a fee, and it doesn't necessarily have to be as expensive as being there live, but for a fee, you can sit there and still experience and feel like you're there live. That That's... You know, something definitely to look into. Let me ask you, Mags, you um, you and I have been talking about wrestling for a few years now. You, you've been a, a favorite guest. Anytime you come on, folks love it. And really, from the time you started coming on the show, that's when AEW was just about to get started. Now they're going on two years. When you look at AEW and WWE during this COVID-19 crisis and the amount of pro wrestling that's been on TV, in order to fill space, there was empty space because we didn't have live sports for so long. 
has that overexposed pro wrestling or do you think the industry as a whole, it just shows how strong it is? I think pro wrestling has been overexposed for a while. Um, I think just isolating WWE, which I consume more than I consume AEW, you know, uh, three hours Monday, two hours Tuesday, two hours Wednesday, you know, a lot of pay-per-views now. I think it's overexposed as it is. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think the lack of original television programming has provided a lot of opportunities to niche sports that, you know, are even smaller than pro wrestling. And I think some of that's been good. And I think some of it hasn't really, uh, I, I don't think people are taking advantage of what's, what's possible out there. I, I actually, you know, we all saw ratings increases in the beginning because nobody had anything else to watch. And also there was, a little bit of a intrigue factor about the empty PC. And then they put up the plexiglass and the developmental talent. And, you know, that gave way to Thunderdome. And so we see bumps in ratings with all of these changes. Um, But unfortunately, none of them have been sustainable at this point. So to answer your question, I think the appetite for pro wrestling has never been larger. I think that's not an obvious statement when simply by looking at the amount of programming, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't program it if there wasn't an appetite for it. But I also don't know that anyone's particularly taken advantage of the, the lack of other professional sports. I mean, you know, while wrestling had some, they made some gains, you know, baseball's opening night was enormous. And that's also come back down to earth and basketball has come back down to earth and hockey started with the playoffs. So it's a little hard to figure out, you know, how exactly we should compare those ratings um, but yeah, all that being said, like, no, I don't think the pandemic has necessarily overexposed wrestling. I think wrestling and greed have overexposed wrestling and also just simply the way new media works where there's, you know, a thousand channels and a bunch of streaming services. Um, but I think it's exposed the weaknesses of wrestling. Um, I think it's exposed how important the crowd is uh, and how important live programming instead of pre-recorded wrestling is. Um, so I think everybody's feeling it a little bit and, uh, it's certainly, you know, listen, as WWE continues to report its financials as the main publicly traded wrestling company, like it exposes, you know, the holes in the, the financial structure as well. They need to get on the road and they need to tour. Sure. Sure. Although, you know, staying in one place has definitely cut a lot of their costs at the same time, but is that sustainable? That's that's great in the short term, but in the long term, you know, that probably is not the way to go. Well, that's exactly the point. I mean, WWE has known that it needs to get out of America, right? But you can't even get from whatever state you're in to the next state over. So if you want that Saudi money, you better be able to fly, you know, whether you like the Saudi Arabia uh, expansion or not. And and I don't think you're you're absolutely right that cost cutting is is enormous. But at a certain point, you know, it's just going to start feeling like regional wrestling again, perhaps. And, and I don't think, I don't think that is sustainable for a publicly traded company for AEW. Maybe um, you've got a lot of money there and you're, you're still, you know, operating as a small business sort of, but for something as legitimately global as WWE, I don't, I don't know how long they can, you know, continue to, to just wrestle at Amway center. Great points. Great points. Tony Maglio of the rap dropping some gems on us. Listen, Mag, you, you cover the entire TV industry, your publication, and also Hollywood and what have you, uh, something recently uh, has really taken over, especially in the sports world. I mean, we have 
unfortunately, you know, Americans being murdered out there by law enforcement officers. And people are getting fed up about that and they're protesting and demonstrating, at times rioting. And it is affecting the athletes themselves because in some instances, they're the ones who are experiencing some of these challenges or their family members. And there's no, there's no more shut up and dribble. There's no more just be a coach. We're seeing a lot of activism in sports more so today than we've seen since maybe the, the 70s. In your opinion, do you think this will bleed over into pro wrestling or, or do you feel the lack of a union is a reason why something like that, we may not see it in, in a medium like pro wrestling? Um, so I think it will bleed over, but to a very small extent, your, your point about a union is excellent. You're referring to LeBron James, Laura Ingram, and um, you're referring to Doc Rivers with those two statements. And here's the deal. LeBron James is the best basketball player on the planet, right? So let's say, who, is the, who, who do you think is the best wrestler on the planet? Is AJ Styles? Maybe, maybe not, right? But so much of that is based on what his storylines are. Yes, his talent is there. And this is, believe me, I'm not trying to call AJ directly. I just know that many people consider him to be the best worker in the world. You could insert Daniel Bryan or whoever your favorite is. It really makes no difference. Um, Kofi Kingston, if you want someone of color. Um, it's all it's all predetermined and it's written. So yes, there is a level of talent that can't be denied among you know all three of those guys for for some small examples. But it can be, you know, it can be changed or, or, or uh, I don't know, roped in or, or whatever by creative, by plans, by storylines. So I think there's still a risk to being an outspoken professional wrestler. You are not an employee. You're an independent contractor. There is no union, as you mentioned. And basically, you could be written out and replaced at any time. Now, would there be a giant hole if that happened, yeah, especially to, you know, to fans who happen to love that particular wrestler. But those holes are so much easier plugged when it's not real, genuine athletic competition. As much as it is real, genuine athletics, you know, the champion is decided. The champion is, is somebody that you're willing to put on the Today Show. LeBron James ain't going to be denied, no matter what he says, whether it's popular or unpopular. I mean, it would have to be pretty unbelievably egregious, you know, and I, I know probably a lot of our listeners right now are saying Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, but that was a different time, even though it was just a couple of years ago and Colin Kaepernick, love him or not love him, ain't LeBron James. Uh, and he's probably, you know, not Doc Rivers either. Um, so, you know, all of that said, yeah, I, I think there will, I think you're, you're crazy if you're an organization and you don't, you know, you don't put emphasize social justice. I think that's a bad look and a bad business decision, even if you're not a good humanitarian. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they want to put their, their neck on the line too much. And I don't think they want their superstars to put their necks on the line too much because everyone's replaceable in this business. So if you're an individual independent contractor, you have to know what you can say on social media let alone on WWE programming and, and you know, how you're still going to get paid for the next pay-per-view. That's why I have Tony Baglio on the show. I mean, here's a guy who covers it all and he has the hot takes. That's for sure. Listen, Max, tell everybody if, if they want to follow you and certainly if they want to check out the rap, what's the easiest way? What's the best way to, to catch up on everything? 
No, if you want to yell at me for anything I said, uh, I'm just Tony Maglio uh, on Twitter, and uh, the rap is therap.com. The rap on Twitter, probably on Instagram. I don't even know. Thankfully, I don't. I don't have to do that part of the job. Um, but yeah, you can, you can follow us. You know, find us anywhere. We're somewhere. Just Google us. Before I let you go, Mags, I, I'm going to pose a question for you because you and I, you know, we're, we're around the same age, and we've been around. We've seen a lot of crazy things here. Do you think in our lifetime? we will see a pro wrestling union, like, like say wrestlers joining the screen actors guild or something like that. After seeing what these pro sports athletes are able to, to influence by banding together, do you think pro wrestling will ever get there in our lifetime? I think so. I think there has to be an evolution in pro wrestling, whether it's directly to being a union or at least directly to being basically staff employees where you have to get benefits. I know it's, it's not a financial structure that has been uh, used in the pro wrestling business. I know AEW wanted to move towards that, not necessarily do that, but towards that. And I think with every generation of wrestlers that come up, uh, and, and frankly, as the old guard retire off or die off, I, I do think it's only natural that um, the power is going to shift to the employees and away from the employers. I think, you know, just in the same way that wrestling has gone from these, such a regional sport within these territories that were completely controlled by one uh, league or promotion um, to kind of being national and now international uh, organizations. I do believe that, you know, one of the next evolutionary steps is, is taking care of the superstars and, and whether that's um, to protect uh, for you know, First Amendment reasons like the social justice stuff we were just talking about, or probably more so physically. You know, CTE. The more and more we learn about concussions and brain injuries, geez, if we still have sports, oh my goodness, whether it's football or or wrestling, do we have to protect these men and women? And I think the only way to do that is to organize, maybe formally with a union, or maybe simply by getting on. I'll say WWE because they're the biggest on WWE's actual payroll where they actually get medical benefits that might be prohibitively expensive for a publicly traded company. It might be prohibitively expensive for AEW. I don't know if those companies will ever get there, but in our lifetime, yeah, I would, I would expect if, if sports and if pro wrestling still exist to the degree that they currently exist or, or kind of with the momentum that they've got going that, eventually the, the men and women will be a little bit more taken care of than we're used to seeing now. Yeah. You know, it's always fun to talk to Tony Maglio, the rap, just a real good guy uh, knows his stuff. So again, shout out to Tony Maglio. Love it. Great stuff there. And, and that wrestling union, that wrestling union idea there is just something that I think is going to keep popping up, especially as we see these athletes in baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you know, they're all doing this protesting, banding together, making it clear that they're not going to stand up for what's happening socially. And, and more importantly, you know, Americans getting murdered by police like that. This is a, you know, the systemic racism and all that stuff is just bad, bad business, man. Bad news. No good for the, the economy, for the country, for anybody's way of life. So it really goes against our, the fabric of our nation. So these athletes, you know, they're, like I said, they're, they're not going to shut up and dribble anymore. They're going to speak out and do something. 
So how will that affect pro wrestling? Will this be the catalyst for them to unionize? I think that's there's something interesting about that and something that we should keep an eye on because I would not be surprised if that's where this is leading. So we'll see. We'll see for sure. Okay, folks, we're going to switch speeds here because this past weekend we had SummerSlam, SummerSlam 2020, and it was not what we expected it to be. You know, we had our original plans. They were supposed to be here in sunny Boston, Massachusetts. I had all these great things lined up. You know, I I was going to be working with a a local TV station. I was going to be doing some coverage and had some interviews lined up, all that good stuff. But unfortunately, it just wasn't in the cards. Thank you, COVID-19. Nonetheless, the WWE still put the event together. And a lot of folks are saying it was better, better than WrestleMania. In fact, I'm one of those folks. It, It was better than WrestleMania. You didn't expect it because the card didn't look so so pretty. Nonetheless, it still delivered pretty well, um, in my opinion. But listen, you hear my opinion all the time. So what? Doesn't mean I have all the answers. So I reached out to somebody who is really, really sharp and has carved his own niche out in the wrestling industry from a really cool perspective, you know, the convention perspective. So as a result, he's gained a lot of trust and a lot of interest from wrestlers far and wide. And he's a pretty sharp kid, educated guy, so you can understand why. So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. We are talking to the warrior of Jacksonville, Florida, the one, the only. Now, he's one of the managing partners of the River City Wrestling Con. We're talking about Nick Pate. What's going on there, Nick? Nothing much, man. How have you been? I'm doing fantastic. Listen, tell everybody about the um, River City Wrestling Con real quick. What is it and what can people expect if they ever check it out? River City Wrestling Con is a pro wrestling fan convention uh, that me and my partner started up here in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the city by now due to a very elite group of people. It's uh, It operates much similar to a Comic Con, but uh, this one has a wrestling twist, so we uh, we like to celebrate wrestling culture, wrestling fandom. We have uh, stars and legends from all eras. Um, it's it, For me, it's a very refreshing take because a lot of Floridians are so used to the traditional pop culture convention, a lot of anime, a lot of comics. And um, it's good to have a break from that and celebrate something different for a change. And wrestling has influenced entertainment for centuries now. And it's good to finally have one of our own events to just meet up once a year and just celebrate all things wrestling. And um, for me, it's just very fulfilling. Uh, It's one of the best things I've done. I'm very, I'm very proud of it. And a lot of our fans are too. And we hope to come back stronger than ever having to have postponed, unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but we're setting our sights on 2021. So we're hoping that things will turn out better for us then. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I can hear the birds chirping behind you. So we know you must be in a nice sunny location because those birds, they are singing. You know, do do you normally have birds that follow you around? Are you one of those like Dr. Doolittle types where they just they, they like to be in your presence? Oh, maybe they're in the mood to watch some wrestling, man. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to tell, man. But yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, the signal out here is pretty spotty. So I had to uh hang outside uh, for a change and get some fresh air. 
Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and you know what's even better with fresh air? A nice, fresh, delicious shawarma. And I have it on good authority that down in the Jacksonville area, you know, you guys have the some of the best shawarma that you can get in all of the United States of America. Tell everybody why getting a, a delicious shawarma is a great idea, especially if you're looking for a nice filling meal. Are you are you are you really asking me to explain why shawarma is the best ever? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know that you live down there. You must know something about shawarma, right? Oh man, I mean, it's 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 so hard to it's it's hard to describe it, man. Because I mean, shawarma is just uh, it's it's one of my favorite things, man. It's 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 so uh, just ev- everything about it's amazing. But here in Jacksonville, um, a lot of people don't know that uh, Jacksonville has a very big Arab population, and uh, because of that, we have a whole bunch of uh, local Arabic restaurants. You know, they make fresh hummus, fresh pita bread, which is amazing. If, if you, if you, if you ever come to Jacksonville and if you can get shawarma, I recommend you just get yourself like a fresh locally made uh, loaf of pita bread. Cause it is the best thing you'll ever eat. And shawarma, especially man, um, you know, you have so many restaurants to choose from around here. It's hard to even name a few of them because so many come to mind, but it's it's such a unique uh, for people to eat because um, a lot of my friends, you know, they've lived in Jacksonville for many, many years and they've never had trauma before. So it's amazing, you know, take them out there because, you know, um, people saw it in the Avengers movie. I think at the end of the movie, they celebrated and they ate shawarma and a lot of people didn't know what it was. And whenever they went in the restaurant and they saw, you know, the the meat turning on the spit, they were just like, what is that? And, you know, just watching them prepare it and everything is just amazing in itself. But you know, Jacksonville has some of the best Arabic food you'll ever eat for, for that reason. So if you guys ever come up here for a dynamite or whatever pay-per-view they're running, definitely check it out. You know, everybody knows what, what a hot dog is. Everybody knows what, what a, a burrito is. Tell everybody, define what a shawarma is. If, if you wanted to, let's say you met somebody off the street who never had it before. They, they say, what is it? How would you describe what shawarma is? So traditionally, shawarma is lamb. Uh, it's it's seasoned lamb. It's seasoned with different spices. Uh, it's cooked on a spit, uh, and and the meat's very tender. It um, they typically pair it depending on where you get it from. They typically pair it with beets and assorted vegetables. You know, it's kind of like a salad, like a meat salad almost. And um, it's usually the stuff you'll find inside of a gyro or an iro, depending how how you guys choose to pronounce it it's the stuff on the inside of that um but it's uh yeah, but it's 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 i'm trying to think of what to compare it to that would make sense because <laughs> i feel like if i say it's similar to a fajita then people will have this uh ill-advised notion of what to expect from it but it's not um, well it it may be you know the arabic arabic version of a burrito uh, basically yeah, right yeah almost yeah i, I would say that I mean, you, you said uh, gyro, which which is Greek, but I think this is more like the Arabic version of a burrito. Now, it doesn't taste anything like a burrito. It doesn't have sour cream or any of that crap in it, but it's just like you said. You got the tender meat that's spiced so perfectly, pickled vegetables, and then the bread. that the, what, what is that bread that, that's used, man? Because it can be so moist and yet crunchy, especially if, they, if it's toasted. Is it, is it just pita bread? That's all it is? Yeah, it's pita bread. Well, that's the biggest piece of pita bread I've ever seen in my life, the way that it's, it's the everything is wrapped in there. Because I usually get it when it's pressed, man. I'm talking about – because you can get a shawarma plate where you have all the individual uh, 
ingredients and you basically make it yourself into the, you know, the pocket. So uh, what have you. But man, if you get it prepared in the bread and then they press it. Oh, my God. I just I know this is a wrestling uh, podcast here, folks. But when I start talking about food, especially shawarma, I just I get excited. I'm telling you. And when, when you're talking about food in Jacksonville, man, everybody that comes to town, they always have something good to say. Um, I remember Cat uh, Williams came up to town. He did a comedy skit uh, for Netflix, and, uh, and the, he spent probably a good five, ten minutes talking about the food in Jacksonville, man. It's there, there's there's so many good places around here. Man. If there's one thing Jacksonville has going for it, it's the the local restaurants, just uh, everything around here in terms of food. There's so much, so many good options. But you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned sour cream. Uh, it, have you ever had tzatziki sauce with your shawarma before? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely had it. I usually get it on the side so I, I can decide how much I want, but absolutely. Oh, man. that's uh, Just having that by itself and it's hot outside is because it's just, it's just Greek yogurt. Um, it's just Greek yogurt mixed with some spices and some cucumbers and whatever else, but it's uh, very refreshing. But keep in mind, folks, it's a sauce, so it's pourable. It's it's not it's not as thick as a yogurt that you would normally eat. Some they they must whip it in a way to make it a little, you know, so you can pour it over stuff. But you're absolutely right. That oh my god, Zeke sauce. Starting ourselves yes. a cooking podcast pretty soon, man. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we could combine it with the wrestling. We can put the shawarma place right next to the the wrestling event, and there you go. You know, you can get them coming and going, brother. Can you smell what the Duke is cooking? Come in That's it. That's it. That's it. But I brought you on here to talk about SummerSlam because you're a guy that, you know, I've read a lot of reviews. I've seen a lot of people talk about it. And I feel that you have some of the better thoughts and, and fair and balanced thoughts about the pay-per-view overall. So, so let me ask you this, Nick. Literally the warrior of Jacksonville. Um, going into SummerSlam the last couple of weeks, did – did you have high expectations, low expectations? What was the feeling going into it? I think um, a- as a fan, uh, I it's, it's kind of interesting because you can see uh, with with the way that things have changed with uh, Bruce Pritchard taking control that they've definitely had a change of pace in the way that the programming has been lined up. So they've been trying a lot of new things on Raw recently with the inclusion of Raw Underground and you know changing up the storylines and everything. So for me – my expectations weren't very high. Um, I figured because recently with the way that they've been doing pay-per-views, the in-ring aspect has been a lot better recently, but the story aspect of things have still been pretty wonky. So I had fairly average expectations at best rather to the lower end. But after watching SummerSlam, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, I felt the same way. And, you know, a lot of folks were really giving it a hard time before the event started, just saying it's a weak card and, oh, this is going to be terrible. But the execution was really something that was special. And I'll say that Thunderdome exceeded my expectations, you know, especially they had to work out the kinks with the first run. So, you know, we saw it on, on SmackDown or what have you, whatever. But to see Thunderdome during SummerSlam, I would give Thunderdome an, an, an A, at least an A minus. Um, I felt that it looked pretty damn good. What did you think? 
I thought the Thunderdome was a pretty neat concept because mentally, whenever you're trying to envision it, it kind of sounds like a video game almost with the way that they presented it. But um, from a visual aspect, at first it took a while to get used to, but over time, it's uh, I got I got more used to it, and it started to I started to kind of treat it more as you know a regular fan base type deal. I mean, it's it's not going to replace real fans, of course, but I thought that the execution of it was uh, was pretty sound. I think we're looking into our future of where sports, as far as consuming sports and sports like content, as far as consuming anything that's a live event, this is where we're going to be. I think more and more people are going to log in virtually and be able to sit there and, and you'll be able to see them as virtual fans. I think eventually they'll get rid of the screens the way that the screens look and it'll look more like a sci-fi movie or something like that where literally it's a hologram. Um, but I'm okay with that. I think it's a great idea. I do feel that WWE should monetize it. You know, if people have to pay for it, then maybe they there won't be any kind of funny business or weird pictures or some of the crap that we've seen pop up from here and there. Um, but overall, man, I, I'm really excited about it. This is something that I've been asking for just because I think that's the evolution. And it really started with the NFL trying to figure out how to get fans more involved with the game. And it's like, well, you don't need more fans at these mega stadiums, man. What you need is fans being able to be there virtually. Let me stay home and buy my own beer, eat my own food, but I still want to have the experience of being at the live game. So I think this this Thunderdome and whatever else the NBA is calling, what have you, this is what live sports is going to be like going forward for us. No, and it, it, I thought I thought that it was aside aside from the fan nonsense. I thought it was handled well. Um, unfortunately, you know, no matter if it's live or on the Thunderdome, you're always going to have a handful of fans that want to uh, you know try to have their ten minutes of fame, however they can get it. So. It's it's unfortunate. For sure. For sure. So let's dig into SummerSlam. So like we said, we didn't necessarily have the highest expectations, but you know, the execution exceeded expectations. Let's start off with the first match. Uh, Apollo Crews defeated MVP for the WWE United States Championship. What did you think of that match? I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty standard. I, I wish they were given a little bit more time because that match was uh, surprisingly shorter than I expected. But I felt had they were given a couple more minutes to flesh it out more and get the pacing a little bit more correct, I thought MVP and Apollo would have Apollo Cruz would have had a pretty uh, pretty good match because um, I I think that the way MVPs kind of uh, positioned himself in the modern roster and kind of assimilated to these changes has have been very interesting because it's not the same MVP that we're used to from the early 2000s. You know, we have more of a veteran mindset coming through on the way he's been uh, treating um, up and coming talent and just handling his character in general. So I thought that's been um, the most interesting thing to observe from MVP's recent run. I mean, we've seen this replicated through the years, especially a lot recently, uh, your player coaches, right? You have yeah. your folks who who can help train you behind the scenes, and then they can get in the ring with you in front of a, a on a live show. I was going to say in front of a live audience, but on a live show or even a tape show. But the main idea is when the red light is on and work with you through your challenges. Apollo Cruz is somebody who has not gotten over the hump yet. 
in terms of figuring out his character, figuring out what his wrestling style is going to be and putting it all together so he can be a true superstar in the WWE. He's he's that guy who's he has all the tools, but it's just not it's not clicking all the way yet. So in my opinion, based on what I've observed here, it seems like the whole hurt business MVP and Shelton Benjamin and and Bobby Lashley, it almost feels like those guys were put together in order to help Apollo and to help Ricochet and, you know, help these guys get over, get over that hump, get over to the next level. Cedric Alexander is another one. The, The Hurt Business is literally there as player coaches just to help these young guys get over. No different from what the New Age Outlaws did during their last run or the Dudley Boys during their last run. They literally are just there to help some guys who they want, who they feel could be the next generation of superstars. Because I, I wouldn't necessarily call Apollo Crews a superstar yet. He's just he's a star. He's a guy who has it, but he's not all the way there. So shout out to MVP for putting in that extra time and extra work to help this young lion out. And hopefully it, it translates to something. I think Apollo needs to stop smiling so much and needs to start beating people up. I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you think, Nick? Uh, I think I, I feel the same way because you can't. I, I think for for Apollo um, Apollo Cruz, he has such an like as a performer. Just watching him wrestle, you can see that there's a lot of passion coming through. That he's very energetic, very charismatic in that regard. But for, as far as a character goes, it's hard to interpret because. It, 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 you don't want them to think that your gimmick is just smiling all the time. You know, you want them to have some depth to it. You want to give them something to invest in. And he hasn't quite figured that out yet, but I think with the help of the stable, it'll start uh, drawing to a more definitive stance on how to interpret Apollo Cruz and his work. Uh, because it, it's a shame to see, you know, high quality and ring work go unnoticed because of that reason. And he definitely, as he said, he's definitely has potential to be a superstar. But I think over the next few months, seeing how the stable goes, we'll start to see more of it. For sure. For sure. All right. Next up, we have Bailey, the SmackDown Women's Champion. She defeated Asuka in the the first women's match of the night, 11 minutes, 35 seconds. Now, Sasha Banks was out on the floor. And keep in mind, folks, Asuka, later on in the evening, she took on Sasha Banks. So Asuka working double duty here. But what did you think of Oscar versus Bailey by itself? I thought the the match itself was um, underwhelming. I expected them to work a lot more because uh, it, it seemed like it was. Uh, which you know, after after watching the event through, I saw it was more of just setting up the uh, Sasha Banks match later on. But the match itself, I I felt it didn't really get going, so to speak. I thought it was a safe way to start the show, but. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything objectively wrong with the match. It's just for me, it didn't quite grip me the way that an opening match to SummerSlam should have. But I thought overall it was fine. It was very, it was serviceable. I'll disagree with you a little bit on that. I, I felt that the match was well worked, but like you said, they weren't taking too many chances because again, Oscar had to wrestle later in the night, so you didn't want to risk her getting injured because <laughs> you needed her to work double duty. But I felt, you know, th- there are little things that folks like Bailey does. She, with with the exception of Natty, I think Bailey is probably the best wrestler 
on the roster in, in terms of women, and she's probably one of the top. She, she's got to be in the top 15. She's probably in the top 10 wrestlers overall in the company. She really knows what she's doing. Like she really, she's going to be a trainer when she retires. There's no two ways about it. So I felt being in there with somebody like Oscar, who absolutely knows what they're doing as well. They did a lot of little things that it would be easy to overlook it, but it was a nice serviceable match. And I think it made sense, but you're right. They, 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 did not step on the gas all the way because Oscar had to wrestle again. There was more to the story. So in that sense, in terms of the storyline execution, I thought that it was a good chapter for the night, right? Leading into the next chapter. Oh, but, for sure. I, I agree on that. I thought for the, the storytelling element with what you're saying about the chapters, I thought that uh, I felt the same way about that. It's just yeah, as as a match, whenever you're tuning into SummerSlam, I was, I was expecting – more I, I was i guess i was expecting more from it because it was the opening match of SummerSlam that they would have done a couple more spots to really kind of rope you in and engage you and, and kind of showcase that this is the opening match of SummerSlam. but i i can't fault them for playing it safe it's uh i again i there was nothing objectively wrong with the match just for me i i didn't feel like it, it got going the way that i would expect a, an oscar bailey match at SummerSlam to be Fair, fair. That's you know he's the warrior Jacksonville. If he says that he felt they they didn't put enough mustard on there and they didn't put enough mustard, what can you do? That's right, that's right. Okay, up next we have the Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza with Zelina Vega out there. This is for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championship. Seven minutes fifty seconds. It didn't need a, a second more, by the way. Um, but what did you think of this match? The Street Profits retain. Way too short. I feel like, uh, given the given the talent of all four people in that match, if they were given even twelve minutes, I felt like the match would have been significantly better. Uh, the match came across to me as rushed. I felt like they didn't give a lot of time for what they had planned to go through because you could you could see that uh, Montez Four was just a little bit sloppy in in some of what he was doing, but given the 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 pace of the match and the amount of time they were given, I, I can't imagine the, the the way that you know they had to translate all of, all of, all of the match into just that condensed amount of time. Uh, I thought I thought the finish was okay. I thought the right people went over for what was given, but I I, I really wish this match would have been given more time to flesh out because um, Andrade to me has a lot of potential. I see him being a big deal in the next few years for, for WWE. So I was kind of surprised that they gave him such a short amount of time. I feel that this match suffered from being in the wrong spot on the card. It probably should have been the opening match. If it were the opening match, it had enough high spots that you could say, okay, we're, we're kicking off and, and this card is going to continue to build. Because it was a few matches in, yeah, it, it, it didn't land as well as you would have hoped. But I'll say this. Montez Ford had to take time off. Something's not right with that guy over there. He, he might be coming off of some kind of injury. And the sloppiness in the ring may be an end result of still having some ring rust. He has not wrestled much since he's come back. If you really think about it, he's been in matches 
But if you just look at the time he spent in the ring, it really hasn't been much since he's come back from whatever injury he had. Uh, you know, they try to clean it up by saying he was poisoned and all this other nonsense. But something I think that was a on the fly move because the guy is actually injured. Um, which is which is probably true because um, I've seen um, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to see the Street Profits wrestle live um, since before they were put on NXT television, you know, and I've and Montez Ford is a great worker. This man's very charismatic. I think, you know, again, these guys are also going to be money for WWE down the road because, you know, just um, the way that they present themselves, the way they carry themselves and, and the way that Montez Ford is so animated in the way that he uh, goes about. Uh, his, his television performances, you know, there's definitely something there. And it's, and it's a shame if he is still has some lingering injuries. I feel like, like you said, I agree. This match should have been an opening bout. I feel like this would have gone over a lot better. Given more time, uh, I feel like the match would have definitely carried itself a lot better because it would have given him more time to breathe and um, it wouldn't have felt so rushed. And it would have also given uh, Dawkins more time to work over the match and not put so much emphasis on uh, Montez Ford. Yeah, and you know Dawkins, brother, you got to step up, man. I mean, when your guy is injured, you got uh, my money is on Dawkins. I, I like Ford. Ford clearly is highly charismatic, but I feel like the the long term money is on Dawkins. I think this guy is going to kick it into the next level and become a major single star. And he'll probably have a run with one of the championships as a singles, because I think that there are things about him as a person that you can depend on, which is why he's been with the company for so long. I think he's been with the company like seven years. Um, oh, he's been, he's been in NXT for probably since it's incarnation, I think. If not exactly. Yeah, it's been there for so a while. So that's at least seven years. So here's a guy that the company is 100% behind investing in. And I think that there's another gear that we have yet to see, but I feel like it's going to come. And, you know, does that mean you have to split those guys up? Well, eventually maybe that has to happen. But my money is actually on Dawkins over over Ford. But Dawkins, you got you to gotta show us in those matches, man. You, you got you to gotta work it. You got to carry the load. So... Just put that in there like that. But, you know, outside of that, though, it was a good match. Could have been better. I think the positioning was just wrong, which hurt the match. Um, next up, we had really my surpriser of the night, uh, Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville. No disqualification, loser leaves WWE match. Ten minutes and five seconds. So, so this was originally supposed to be a hair versus hair match. It got changed to a loser leaves town match. What did you think about this one, Nick? So my my opinion on this one, um, I, I can see what they were going for in the match. And I thought, you know, taking into consideration what they were attempting to execute with the way that they were playing a story for the match, I thought that was I thought it was pretty good. Uh, you can tell that both um, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville were very passionate about this match. And you could see. In, in the way that they were framing some of the spots and in the way that they were interacting with each other, that they were really trying to tell a story. I, I think the the problem with this match, um, at least from, from, from my perspective, is it came across very sloppy at, at certain points. Uh, I remember the one thing I remember about this match is Mandy Rose spent so much time messing with this table outside the ring. And this match was 10 minutes. She probably, she kept revisiting this table throughout the match and setting it up and setting it up and setting it up. And they never used the table. And that aggravated me because 
they spent so much time focusing on the table, having the table in the background of some shots, Mandy going in and checking the table and all this going back and forth. And it was just never used. And for me, that was kind of a, I didn't understand why, because normally you would, you would think that after the match, they would probably plan a table spot or sometime during the finish, the table would have been used, but it was never uh, called into the match at all, aside from them messing with it throughout. Um, But aside from that, I thought the, I thought it was the weaker. I thought it was the weaker match on SummerSlam. I felt that uh, it, it it didn't quite click the way that both women were anticipating. Um, I thought that uh, they probably could have. Uh, it's really hard to put my put my finger on the exact problem because it was it, to me. It's just that the feud itself and the way that uh, it was going into SummerSlam, the way that the feuds changed so much and. Um, and, it's, and unfortunately, given Sonya Deville's uh, personal situation outside of WWE with what she had to go through and travesty that was both of them, actually, because both Mandy and Sonya were uh, at home at the time of that uh, attempted kidnapping. But um, I felt like the feud going into SummerSlam w- wasn't getting the heat that it needed and the match itself um, was better than I think most people expected. But. For me, it just didn't quite click. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you this much. I, I thought that the match was, the action itself was very sloppy and uncoordinated. But because it was very sloppy and uncoordinated, I actually didn't mind it because I had to remind myself, you know, this isn't Oscar and Bailey or Oscar and Sasha. <laughs> Clearly, these these two ladies are not of that caliber of, of in-ring competitor as far as wrestling. But damn, that looked like a fight to me. And a, and a real fight is not coordinated and is very sloppy and at times unpredictable. Unless, you know, Mike Tyson is going to knock somebody out in a few seconds. But outside of that, you know, it, it looked like a fight. It looked like a fight to me. And there were some live slaps and kicks in that match that were pretty interesting. Um, given the circumstances, you know, Sonya had a stalker who broke into her house and had weapons and duct tape and stuff. He was trying to kidnap and possibly kill her. Uh, so she was able to get out. And Mandy's actually her real life friend. So they were both in the home. They both got out safely, which was great. Given the circumstances, I, I'm I'm okay with the match. I feel like it's unfortunate that it ha- the feud has to end right now because I feel like the next match could have been even better. And they both could have continued to elevate each other's game. But, you know, Sonya definitely needs some time off to sort through this stuff, man. I mean, somebody stalking you for damn near a year and then getting that close to you, that's that's terrifying. So I can't imagine the psychology going into the match from uh, Sonya's perspective, you know, having the pressure of that on you along with performing at SummerSlam. So. You know, I, I, I try not to be too overly critical of it, given those elements. I, I, I agree. I like the fact that it felt very raw. Um, I know it's an ironic choice of words, but I, I like the, the fact that it felt very, uh, you know, somewhat realistic in that way. I just feel like given more, uh, given, I think, I think given more uh, rehearsal, you know, more behind the scenes planning, you know, more, uh, more production to the match, it would have gone out a lot better but for for what it was you know again like the the way the feud's gone and the way that um everything's played out going into SummerSlam 
I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, the match of the night or expecting it to, you know, overstep Asuka's matches by any regard. But for, for what it was, it was fine. But in my opinion, it's still a, still the weaker match of the card. Yeah, no, it was. It definitely was that. It definitely was that warts and all. All right. Next up, we have Seth Rollins with Murphy taking on Dominic Mysterio with his father, Ray Mysterio in a street fight. And for some reason, this match lasted 22 minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was the longest match on the card. I don't know what the heck Dominic Mysterio is doing in a 22-minute, 35-second match. But uh, what did you think about this one, Nick? I quite enjoyed this match. I thought Dominic handled himself very well in his debut. Uh, he definitely has a lot of potential. I thought it was uh, – I was actually quite surprised that they opted to not let Dominic run through NXT, but instead have him debut on the main roster. I'm sure he'll get an NXT run later on, but for now, since Ray's still on the main card, they're going to keep him with his dad. Uh, I thought that he handled himself very well against Seth Rollins. Um, Again, 22 minutes for a debut match, nonetheless, is quite a lot, especially with a guy like Seth Rollins, who's been a consistent worker for a majority of his career. Uh, I thought... Seth Rollins played a very good heel in this match. I um, I loved during the finish how they had forced Rey Mysterio to watch him get curb stomped. I thought that was just very vicious. And, and you know, seeing Seth Rollins in that heel state to me is always entertaining because he's, uh, to me, he's a he's a much better former as a heel than a face. Um, I, I, I appreciated that although there were some outside shenanigans, they didn't um, cloud the scene too much because normally whenever WWE um, executes this type of a match, you know, they usually have the outside shenanigans take up most of the screen time and they take away from the action. But in this match, it was structured well enough to where there was ample time for both. Um, I thought the match's strength was its storytelling because, you know, the in-ring work, even though Dominic held his own, you could definitely see that he was still green to most regard and a lot of the moves he was doing, you know, it took him a couple seconds to set up some DDT spots here and there, but for what, um, but again, I'm not going to be too critical of that given that it's his debut match, but um, the storytelling aspect more than made up for it. I thought the match told a great story. I thought uh, Seth Rollins going over was the right decision and um, it's going to be interesting to see where this feud goes next. I don't ever want to see another 22-minute Dominic Mysterio match, like, ever. Especially when you have other workers on the card, like Angel Garza and and (laughs) Andrade, who got seven minutes and 50 seconds. I just, we're we're hustling backwards. And and Bruce Pritchard, get your act together. That, That was just a poor decision on your part, giving Dominic Mysterio, just because you're friends with his daddy, uh, 22 minutes and 35 seconds. I didn't like it. Right, next up, we have Oscar in her next match of the night. Second match of the night. She defeats Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship. 11 minutes, 25 seconds. What did you think of this one, Nick? I definitely liked this one much better than the Bailey match. I thought Sasha did... Um, her, her and Oscar just seemed to click really well in that match. They had some pretty good spots. That match didn't feel like it was 11 minutes. I actually felt like it, it went on longer in a good way because um, they fit a lot in, in that time frame for, for themselves. So um, Asuka going over was the right decision. Um, I didn't 
the only thing that aggravated me about this match was the commentary afterwards because they just kept cramming down your throat. The cracks are forming. The cracks are forming. You know, the the Bailey-Sasha team is breaking up. What's going to happen next? Oh, my goodness. The role models are going away. And to me, that was just so just it was so unnecessary because, you know, we can clearly see with the way that the match played out, that was what it was leading to. So we didn't need that outside influence. But um, aside from that, the work itself was pretty good. Uh, I like how Sasha Banks at the start of the match is very cocky, thinking that, you know, she was going to go over Asuka just the same. But Asuka kept coming back stronger and, and countering her moves more. And you started to see that arrogance fade into desperation. And you started to see Sasha Banks, especially at the end of the match, with the way that she was just narrowly escaping those holds and just, you know, trying her absolute best to cling on to whatever semblance she had of victory only for Asuka to eventually come out the winner. I thought that was all uh, well told and well planned. So no complaints about this match. I thought it was pretty good. Two of my favorites in the world battling it out. I thought it was great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. Drew defeats Randy. 20 minutes and 35 seconds for the WWE Championship. What did you think of this one? I I thought this was, uh, in my opinion, this would be the match of the night. Um, the I love Drew McIntyre as champion because um, it just comes across very genuine. And that's something that I haven't felt in a in a in a WWE champion for a long time. You know, a lot of them come across artificial. It, it doesn't really click with the fans the same way. But Drew McIntyre, you can definitely see there's some passion here. You can definitely see that he's working to improve every time. And, and his victories always carry a lot of meaning. And that's something that um, in this match, especially because the way that this match is presented, you know, it, it, everybody was expecting Randy Orton to get the championship. You know, everybody, in Drew McIntyre as well, you can kind of see that he's not very confident going into this match, that he's feeling like he's going to lose the championship in the way that, you know, he's handling the championship belt before the match. You can see that he's having that shred of doubt before it. And all, all of the fans that I talked to before watching SummerSlam, like, oh, you know, Randy Orton's definitely getting this one. And seeing the match and how they kept, setting up the finishers and the finisher wasn't the reason they won. It was the backslide and, um, and a lot of clever spots in this match too. Randy Orton is so smooth the way that he's working, especially recently in his recent run, you know, with the revisiting the legend killer character, uh, the way that he was executing a lot of these spots was just pretty smooth. Uh, uh, the spot where uh, Drew McIntyre was bleeding and he went for the eye rake, and seeing how he kind of smeared the blood over his eye was pretty clever um, from a viewer standpoint. There's a lot of these small details and um, the way that Randy Orton even uh, presented himself in this match, you know, it def- he definitely felt like um, the old school Randy Orton. And overall, I just thought the match was very well worked, but the story was great. I really liked the build to this match most of all with the way that uh, Drew McIntyre was kind of bringing to light Randy Orton's past and the way that he conducted himself personally, because that's a lot of um, that's something that isn't really visited a lot in in the storylines of Randy Orton, and it was kind of uh, interesting to see Randy Orton on the receiving end of that rather than the opposite. So uh, I love the build of this match. Thought the match told a great story. It was well worked. Uh, no complaints about this one. Easily the match of the night. Yeah, you know Drew McIntyre is one of the nicest wrestlers I've ever observed. I mean, I've seen him. Even when he was a heel, I've seen him behind the scenes be very nice to young fans and what have you. So 
I won't say anything negative about him as a person, but I just I'm underwhelmed with him as a champion. But you do bring up a good point. Uh, the warrior of Jacksonville, Nick Bate, uh, you bring up a good point. I think that he's improving. Something is is clicking with McIntyre where he's getting better than he was previously. So hopefully he can grow into the champion that we need. Because right now he's just, I mean, Jinder Mahal is a better champion than Drew McIntyre in my, in my book. I'll just leave yeah. it where that is. <laughs> uh, last, we have The Fiend taking on Braun Strowman and defeating Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. And then Roman Reigns coming out to establish that he's back. He's going to beat up everybody. He's going to leave. He has a mouthful of porcelain. Looks like he has a, a whole toilet bowl <laughs> in his mouth. That Hollywood smile. Uh, what did you think about this? Oh, man. Um, there's so many things about this match. Uh, I, I thought, so just looking at the work itself, it was definitely going for a Haas fight. Uh, it was a little sloppy. It wasn't, uh, it, my complaints about this match it wasn't necessarily the work, but the story and the way that it was executed. The, the execution of this match was uh, bizarre to me um, because for, for the beginning portion, you can kind of see Strowman is, it, it kind of reminds me, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this because <laughs> it, you can see that you have like two invincible characters just battling it out, no selling some spots, doing a lot of these big power moves, throwing each other around, you know, the fiend doing his antics and so on and so forth. Uh, but then you started to see this was a burial of Braun Strowman. Because at the end of the match, you know, Strowman's just looking like a comp- just going out of nowhere, pulling out a box cutter. Uh, that was what surprised me with this match was him actually pulling out a box cutter and, and just instead of trying to do a spot with it, tears up the ring circa um, a Ciampa Gargano match only for him to take 20 years to do it and then Fiend just completely ragdoll him to the finish and and then um, ultimately Roman Reigns comes out and continues to ragdoll Braun Strowman and it, it, at this point Braun Strowman just has zero credibility I, I can't imagine him even showing his face on television for a while because the way that he went out was just a complete onslaught you know he just has nothing going for him right now and and for the fiend to have such a dominant finish only to then get put down by Roman Reigns is also pretty questionable because, you know, given the amount of time to pay back, obviously they had to rush a few things, but it, it just came across very, uh, the match felt very rushed to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was very underwhelmed by Braun Strowman's uh, championship reign. I don't know what's going on with this guy. He got his new contract, and it's almost as if he just he's living high on the hog now. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> it's but, um, uh, on that? the subject of his reign. You know, Braun Braun Strowman hasn't uh, his, his stride was really 2018. Whenever he just first hit, and people were really amped by it. Cause at the time, he was kind of a throwback to the 80s in a way. The way that the 80s had those monster type characters. You know, he was just very simple, very easy to understand. Um, they didn't overexpose him. They kept his matches to about 10 minutes, which is perfect for somebody like Strowman. But in this match, in the way that he carried his character, it's just 
he really had nothing going for him even before his match with uh, Goldberg. He just his his heat was dying down. Nobody really cared for him. He was pretty established in the mid card, you know, wallowing in different mid card feuds. There really was no reason for him to even beat Goldberg for the championship. And just everything since then has just been a snowball effect of how can we make this feud, you know, <laughs> uh, linger on further. But you know, I, it, it's really just. I think Strowman was just a victim of just the wrong place, wrong time of being champion. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And Roman being back and hopefully he can remain a heel. I, I would appreciate that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, that would be best for business right now. So let's hope that happens because it'd be real compelling to see how everybody interacts with Roman in 2020. Now that he has made it clear that he's just here to beat everybody up, and then he's going to leave. And we know what that means. That means he's going to Hollywood, baby. He's got his new teeth. He's not playing with you people anymore. He's going to Hollywood. So, so on that on that note, was he a heel at SummerSlam? Because to my knowledge, both Strowman and Fiend are heels. So wouldn't he have been the face in that situation? Not at all. Not at all. That That shirt tells it all. He's going to beat everybody up, and then he's going to leave meaning he's not sticking around doing the wrestling thing anymore. He's not here to please anyone. If you listen to some of the things he was saying as he was beating on those guys, uh, talking trash, he didn't face them. He attacked them from behind like a coward in both instances. He waited until the match was over, and then he attacked them. So this is not a guy who's displaying in any way, shape, or form redeeming qualities. This, This is a guy who's coming in who is doing it all for himself, who makes it clear that he's coming to get paid one last time, and then he's going home, taking his ball, he's going home for good. So, now nah, Roman Reigns, not a, he's not a babyface at all. In fact, I don't even think he'll say anything nice to the fans. He'll probably tell the fans to go to hell when we hear from him uh, on SmackDown. Yeah, I mean, that's it's definitely I, – I, I definitely enjoy this new – Roman Reigns persona. I feel like it's long overdue because, you know, over time, you know, it's because with, with, uh, with Cena fans didn't get that satisfaction of seeing him in a heel role, similar to how, you know, Hulk Hogan went on the Hollywood trend. And so, and, you know, the rock was also a pretty decent heel and Stone Cold his heel turn. You know, John Cena never got that turn and Roman Reigns getting it, I think will, bring a lot of new life to him and, and seeing um, a more rounded perspective of his character and seeing his new motivations going forward. I think it's going to definitely be an, uh, an interesting path for him going into 2021. I can definitely see him um, as a champion down the road, you know, leading and leading SmackDown, uh, how that's going to work out for him because, you know, SmackDown could definitely go for some rejuvenation in the top card right now. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a very good point. And, you know, there's no telling with the the draft coming up. We can start off assuming that everything is going to be one way, and then it turns into something else. So a lot of possibilities here with Roman back and Keith Lee being moved up and some of these other things uh, going on there. Nick, let everybody know, because you, you are the warrior of Jacksonville. How can folks get in touch, especially with your amazing comic, uh, your wrestling con? I want to call it a comic con because that's the that's what we call every 
convention these days. It's a comic con, but it's actually a pro wrestling con, which is even better. How can everybody get in touch with uh, what you have going on there? Uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RCWC official. Uh, our Facebook uh, is, is uh, we have an amazing culture fan on all of our social media, Facebook, especially, you know, we had a huge discussion about SummerSlam on our most recent post. You know, everybody's uh, been going back and rewatching it and starting to form their opinions on it. So we've definitely been talking about SummerSlam for the past few days. Um, and, you know, there's all, we have always got some stuff going on. We have some, uh, we hope to have some announcements about 2021 in the next few weeks. And uh, um, we're going to be having some more special announcements about meetups and hopefully trying to, you know, get everybody together over the next few weeks as we are uh, settling into another month of uh, the pandemic craziness. So we definitely have some projects going on and um, we're looking forward to watching more wrestling with you guys. What a great conversation with literally the warrior of Jacksonville there. Great guy. Shout out Nick Pate. Really appreciate talking to you there. Just a, just a real good guy. Definitely keep an eye out for that dude. He's making some moves out there in the wrestling industry, and it's all positive stuff. Appreciate you, brother. You know, Thunder Rosa, she is coming, man. She's going to be kicking butt. I think she's going to destroy Sheeta. I, I was wrong. I didn't think, she, you know, initially I didn't think she was going to be in an AEW ring, and I guess uh, Tony, billionaire Tony and Silver Spoon Cody, they wanted to make a fool out of the Duke, so they absolutely had Thunder Rosa cut a promo on Dynamite and Looks like she's going to be at their next pay-per-view to take on Sheeta, so that's going to get interesting. Sheeta, you're going to get destroyed. Um, but what a what a just tremendous, tremendous year that Thunder Rosa is having, right? Just tremendous stuff, man. And don't forget Mission Pro Wrestling, Hell Hath No Fury. That's coming up. That's coming up. You'll have more information on that. In fact, I think we're going to have one of the stars who's going to appear on the card. Let's have her... Come on next week. I'm not going to tell you who it is. It'll be a surprise, but I think you'll enjoy that conversation. I'm also going to have to get my man Harry Burkett from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You know, the PWI 500, the cover is being revealed this Friday. So that's a day after this show drops. So next week, we'll talk to Harry Burkett, and let's see if finally, if finally I'm satisfied with who's on the cover, who's number one in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500. So we have to wait and check that out there. And don't forget, you know, it's a couple months away from the PWI Women's 100. Thunder Rosa better be in a, in, a, in a spot that makes sense this year compared to previous years. So we'll have to wait and see how that shapes up as well there. Well, definitely uh, check me out next week, folks. Please don't forget, go over to iTunes, YouTube, whatever your, your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star review. All right. Duke loves wrestling. Give me a review. It's been a while since uh, I've done a review drive here. I know you folks, you definitely are tuning in and listening and sharing. And I appreciate that. Post your reviews, not just in the, on the uh, Twitter and, and Facebook personal messages there, but post a review on, on some of these podcast sites here. It's always good to see that it helps the show out. Till next week, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. Oh, you know something? I'm going to do a contest. I'm going to do a contest. We have a, a Kevin Owens autograph uh, item here. So here's what we'll do. If you post a review for Duke Loves Wrestling on iTunes or YouTube, you got to do a snapshot now. You got you to take a picture of it and send it to me. But hashtag 
DLR contest and then number one. So DLR contest one. Hashtag that. Just put it in the post, the main post for this episode of the show. Um, we'll run the contest until next Thursday. I will reveal the winner by 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next Thursday. But um, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that, okay? First Thursday in September, the winner will be revealed. We will be sending you, as long as you live in the United States of America, so I'm sorry, international fans, this one doesn't apply to you, but I'll do something for you next time. Um, but if you live in the United States of America, you have to go to iTunes or YouTube, give Duke Loves Wrestling a review. You know, five stars is always appreciated. Take a picture of it and then post that on the Duke Loves Wrestling Twitter just so I can see it. Or you can email at Duke Loves Wrestling at uh, gmail.com. Okay. But let me know that you did it. And I will randomly pick someone who will win this autographed Kevin Owens item. Okay. So that's what we'll do there. That's right. That's right. Okay, folks, till next week, be kind to yourselves, be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.